Hey everybody, welcome to episode 6 of the Agile Wire. Jeff and I just wrapped up a number of speaking engagements over the past few weeks and thought we'd share some of our big takeaways. Thanks again for downloading and enjoy the discussion. We are recording. All right, man. All right. Good to be back. Yeah, no uh, It's been a little while. We've been together a lot um, at conferences, right? Over the what last few weeks, we've been knocking them out. We, we've, we've hit three in the last week. So it was, I or no, 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 I'm sorry, Professional Development Day for the PMI Madison chapter last yeah. Thursday. And then IBAD on Friday, which was a glorious five-hour car ride there. <laughs> yes. Yep. We solved a lot of world problems, right? Yeah, no kidding. Um, and then, what was it, Tuesday or Wednesday was? Wednesday we did Agile Camp. We did a product owner course, remember, on Monday and Tuesday. Oh, that's right. Okay. And then Wednesday was uh, Centera's Agile Camp. And now we're one, one more in the hopper. So next when Tuesday or Wednesday? Tuesday, right? Uh, yeah, next Tuesday evening, we got Product Brew that we're, we're talking at in Milwaukee. Yep. Okay. Awesome. And we'll we'll give a little bit more information on that later on. But yeah, a lot of, lot of conferences, a lot of talks, and we thought... Um, I, I enjoy revisiting and kind of reliving those, not just the memories, but the, the takeaways from them. So we thought, yeah. hey, let's kind of take a, a trip down memory lane the last few days, um, talk about things that stood out to the two of us and kind of share that knowledge. And, we, and I'm sure that's going to spawn a whole bunch of other conversations between us. So mind if I kick things off on my side? Yeah, go for it. Awesome. All right. So jumping back, PDD, uh, keynote speaker, Carrie Lawrence. So she was yeah. very, very cool. So, but kind of background for people who, who don't know, she was the, the first female F-14 Tomcat fighter pilot, I think it Correct. was. Correct. Okay. Yep. So interesting individual. I, I, I always, you know, it's a little bit personal, but I always like hearing um, military stories, uh, especially my experience in the military, my, my younger sister's in the, the Air Force, so kind of close to home with all that. But mm -hmm. so I just kind of wanted to, to step through a few things that, that she had mentioned that really kind of stood out to me. Uh, the first one was, you know, showing up every day with courage and tenacity. And she talked a little bit more about it later on, showing up purpose, focus, and discipline. But regardless of those, and we've chatted some, you know, offline about some of this stuff, just having values, just, you know, not to say that there probably aren't bad values, but, you know, we talk about our scrum values, our organizations have other values, but just the, the fact that you've got values and that you promote those values, you talk about those values, I think, I think that's really important. And I'm glad she, yeah. you know, she kind of dived down into that. And what I really love to see is when people have values and then they, they apply them, right? Like it's, Many corporations have values sitting on the wall or, you know, they've got them somewhere. And then it's like, really, you know, your value, like, let's just say it's Enron and their values are integrity. And you're like, huh, interesting. Right. Right. Um, but so it's great when you see people actually living their values. And I think those are the people that uh, just easily have a ton of respect for when they're making their decisions and they're living by their values. You know what their values are. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a. She definitely told the story that showed she lived by her values every single day. Uh, one of the things that really stuck out for me for her from hers, like, I mean, she is, it didn't sound like, you know, she's been, I mean, she's been working with some different companies 
um, maybe at the peripheral from the, the agile community. But one of her big messages and something she lived even from like flight school on, so this was you know, quite a few years ago, was make a decision so it opens up more decisions in the future. Like don't, don't just you know, stall and don't make a decision and get into this analysis by paralysis. And, and I think that that was a pretty cool message. Um, she was talking about life choices. Um, just make a decision, keep moving forward and know you're going to make some mistakes, but when you make that mistake, you're going to be able to correct from it because you made a decision and now you have some more information, which is something we, we teach and we, you know, with our teams and with our product development, like I always keep moving forward. I always keep putting little bits out there so that you can, you know, inspect and adapt and figure out where to go next. Uh, so I just thought it was a really just, you know, a whole different realm of um, context and how she was applying many of the same principles that we apply every single day with teams. Yeah, I, d I don't know if it's a quote or maybe just something I heard. Um, and maybe it was military. I, d I don't remember off the top of my head. But it was something to the effect of, you know, a, a decent decision made right now is better than the perfect decision made a month from now. Right. Or something to that effect. Yep. Um, and, and I'm so glad you brought that up because that was literally one of my other notes here is um, when you're afraid of failing, you pass up valuable opportunities, right? Like if, if you're always afraid of failure, you're, you're never going to think outside. You're never going to stretch yourself. You're never, you're never going to try something new. And that, you know, that really hit home for me because it was so closely related to some of the topics that we've been talking about in our talks as well. So, yeah, I just thought that was a really tight correlation to um, in our building resilience team talk where we talk about, um, you know, people having that that fixed mindset versus that growth mindset mm -hmm. and what that can do to a team. And so if you have a fixed mindset and you're afraid to even get started because you need to be 100 percent right that can really limit you, right? Because you're, you're just not going to try things. You're not going to experiment. There's going to be no trust there for fail, you know, that I can fail or I can have these little, you know, bumps along the road because everyone has them. It's just, um, or you need them. All successful people pretty much have them. Uh, and so you you, you got to experiment. And if you don't have that, that safety, that psychological safety within your organization, within your team to experiment, I think it's going to be very difficult to be successful. So another thing that that she had mentioned that she had mentioned uh, that I thought was really cool one because I've I've been to Pensacola uh, I forget the the flight school that's down there but it's where my younger sister got her wings but um, you know when we were down there seeing the Blue Angels fly overhead and when she was talking about mm. um, your job as as one of the Blue Angels your job is to make everyone else look good and i was like wow that you know that's that's again exactly some of the things that we try and talk about when we're thinking about servant leadership and i think you know dan pink um talks about it as making the person to your left and your right um or looking out for the person to your left and your right up uh in above yourself or uh you know before yourself and just that type of mentality um that really and i think i've we've talked about this on on the, the podcast previously but like just imagine how great a team would be if every, each individual person was putting the well-being of everybody else in front of themselves. Like that that's yeah. the team I would want to be on. Right. Yeah, I, I like the part of the story where she was talking about how, and this is really hard for pilots. Like if you know pilots, like they've got an ego that can barely fit through the door, <laughs> right. you know, sometimes. And I just laughed because my, my brother is a helicopter pilot and I'm like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. So um yeah, so I thought that was that was pretty funny. Um, but 
right. You know, Dan Ping talks about it. We hear about it so many places. Patrick Lencioni. I was thinking of the ideal team player too when she was talking about that. You know, the three things that really make a a team greater, a person great to be on a team with, is that they're they're hungry to learn, they're humble, and they're smart, and they're talking about emotional intelligence, right? So the humbleness of I need to make other people look better. It's it's all of us, not just me. Um, that type of a focus, the no the no ego type of focus, right? So I thought that was that was really great um, and a great correlation because that does get in the way for a lot of teams. Yeah, I, I you you brought up the <clears throat> excuse me the Lenciani story, but uh, just the no jackasses policy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and then the the last note that I have down here, she she had said, "Honor where you want to be tomorrow, um, today." So just in again, this this one hit home because again, it's been part of what we're talking about in our presentation, but you know thinking about your your end state your goals long term and you need that passion and perseverance and part of figuring out that purpose part of having the hope is understanding where you're going where you want to be uh and knowing what you have to do today to help bridge that gap um so right so cool um that was that was all my notes and i'm sure she had a lot more stuff and unfortunately i had to take out uh step out for a, a personal call something came up but um fantastic speaker yeah uh, one of the things actually kind of leading in because we for for context both you and i and and chad who we were out there with we were speaking a lot uh so we didn't have as many opportunities as we normally would have to to jump into other talks but um i did sit on on yours and chad's agile loops conversation which i i enjoyed because i always take something new away from that conversation and um, directly related to what we were, were talking about from some of Carrie's discussion or presentation was it was either you or Chad specifically said feedback loops create learning opportunities to options we didn't know existed. And that would really that like, you know, these things, but when sometimes when something is articulated in a certain way, you're like, oh, that that's brilliant. You know, that's that's the justification that I was looking for in the back of my mind. Um, that was just putting words to these feelings that I had inside as why this is a good thing. And, you know, what we were just talking about, when you're afraid of failing, uh, you pass up on valuable opportunities, couple that with these feedback loops that create learning opportunities to options we didn't even know existed. I thought those two kind of phrases for that morning really jived well together. Yeah, I always think of it as like, um, learning is the bottleneck and pretty much all organizations and, you know, any, um, any effort to optimize anything else in that bottleneck is probably really not going to move the needle very much. And, and so it's, yeah, let's get to figure out where that feedback loop is that we need to, that we need to work on and that we, that we need to, um, where our bottleneck is and that we need to, you know, optimize for let's do that. And then, and not focus maybe on the, the things that, that aren't the bottleneck. Cause if they're not the bottleneck, then, um, they're really not going to, because we can process claims, you know, so much faster, but if we don't have the claims, it doesn't really matter. Right. Like we have the capacity already to do that. Let's worry about things that are actually going to move the needle and let's work and let's focus on those types of things. So I really like the, the thing about our talk, I think is we just, we're framing up a lot of the stuff that we read about, um, from different contexts, uh, you know, the goal, the Phoenix project, um, it's really about a value stream map 
kind of context and then putting it into a feedback loop and saying, hey, where is your biggest constraint? And now figure out where that is. And now let's figure out what, what we want to do to optimize that. And, and not just try to optimize everything at once because there are, we do have limited capacity to, to focus on, on a continuous improvement effort. So let's make sure we're, we're putting, you know, putting, getting, we're putting our effort in a spot where it's going to be the biggest bang for the buck. Yeah. So I thought I, I liked that talk. I think it was really fun to do that talk um, at IBAD when we were up in front on the stage. Like, I know you didn't really like the stage and we did one talk up there, but you know, it's like whatever it was, a five foot stage and the podium, we had the big speakers, we're all mic'd up. Um, it felt cool to be on a, on a, in a big stage with, you know, a, uh, you know, up kind of on a big stage and, and just feel what that felt like. I know you like the intimateness of having a room and people close to you and, and I like that too, but it was just a different experience that, you know, we don't have every single day. And so I guess I really enjoyed, enjoyed that, that experience. Yeah. I, I mean, it was, I agree. It was still cool to be up on stage, regardless of whether I like that intimacy of smaller groups versus, you know, the being up there. So I don't really have, well, let's, let's just jump ahead. So when we were out at, um, so that was PDD. So stepped through yeah. all that on Thursday. Then we drove out to um, IBAD on Friday. And again, I think we were talking actually even more at IBAD than we were talking at PDD. So I, I unfortunately only really had the opportunity to jump into to one session, but I'm, I'm really glad that I jumped into it. Um, obviously you weren't there. I think that you were either prepping or you were talking during that time. Yeah. Um, and I was like, you know what? I've already heard Jeff and Dad talk. Let me, <laughs> let me go find something else to, to jump into. And I don't, I don't remember the name of her talk, but it was Lisa Schaefer. And we, we ended up talking with her for quite a bit. Um, yeah. In the, you know, when, in the after, after, after all the talks got done, there's like a, um, a post conference party. Um, and we sat there and talked with her for a long time. So yeah, she was a really interesting person, had a lot of really great ideas for leadership. Um, I'm, I know we talked a little bit offline about it, but you should dive into some of your big takeaways from her talk. Yeah, absolutely. So um, she, one, just super, super energetic, super passionate speaker, really just fills the room. Um, and that's always really cool to have, a, you know, that presence when you're when you're participating in something. It was kind of workshoppy, so people were, were involved with things. But let me just jump into some of the actual takeaways. So early on, she was talking about and she posed the question, you know, um, what's the one thing you would do if you knew you wouldn't fail? And, you know, she just kind of threw that question out and, and right away it was, I'd start my own business. And she, yeah. and across the board, she goes, that's, that's always, or I should say always, that's almost always the answer. You know, like 95% right. of the time it's, I'd start my own business. And it was ironic because the three of us on our way out there were talking about, you know, what, you know, what would, what's your future? Do. Yeah. What do you want to do? Yeah. Right. And so Chad has his own business. This is something that you're starting up and it was, you know, something that, maybe I would like to potentially explore one day. But um, it, it kind of made me think a little bit more about like, why is that? You know, I, I think it's very easy to say everybody wants to be their own boss. But um, I want to unpack this just because it's kind of coming to, to mind right now. Like, what is it about wanting to be or having your own business that drives you, Jeff? You know, I, the big thing is autonomy, I think. And it's because then I'm choosing to do what I want to do certain things. 
whenever I'm doing stuff for myself, like it doesn't feel like work. I mean, it is. I'm just taking time away from my family and things like that. But I want to do it. Like I know that I'm getting the upside of everything I'm doing. I'm growing. I'm learning. I'm making the choice to do it. And so I, you just, I feel like I get into the state of flow just so much easier because I have the control over it. I can do it the way I want to. I'm representing myself and not just what somebody told me to do. Um, and so it's, so it's very different. I think the other thing, I mean, for a lot of people it is the financial upside, right? There's a, you have, you have more risk, but you also have a lot of upside. And so there's just a lot of ownership there. Um, and it's fun to own something and make something and create something. I think that's why people garden. That's why people build things on the side as hobbies. That's why we want to continue to improve whatever it is, whether it's our house, our car, our video games, whatever it is, we want to improve on something. And so now you're like, how can I continue to improve my own business? And it's this fun that like child that you're kind of bringing up and growing, you know, in the world. And so just this, uh, I, I think for me, that's, that's why. And, and once you start getting a taste of it, it gets harder and harder to like go back to like uh, more of a traditional uh, corporation, I think, where, you know, someone's telling you, you need to be here at this time. This is what you need to do. If you want to, if you want to do something, you need to check in with me first. And it feels more and more like a, I think once you have a taste of the freedom and the autonomy, uh, you, you get this like. I feel like I'm being talked to like a child if I go back into that world instead of, um, you know, really having full ownership and, and people don't, people, people want to own things. I think it gets back to Daniel Pink's, uh, you know, three things that really motivate people, purpose, autonomy, and mastery. And you get all three with your own business, or at least you have the opportunity for that. And, um, you're the only one who can, you can blame for it if you don't. So I think, I think those are some of the big reasons um, for, for me. And I think I'm, I don't think I'm that much different than most people. I had that when, when you were talking about um, freedom, all of a sudden I had that Braveheart scene going through. My head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> freedom! <laughs> right, exactly. I just imagined Google's just, just like screaming in front of a crowd. Uh, and, and, I, and I wanted to, and I'm glad you unpacked it in that way. So thank you. Um, thinking about, you know, what, how do we kind of bring that sense of ownership to, to our teams uh, to, to be thinking about that? So not, I don't want to dive into that, but maybe just something to kind of plant the seed in people's minds. Like, Hey, if this is what drives people to want to, to go it on their own, you know, we kind of talk about or the, the gig economy right now is kind of big um, people going on their own, being their own bosses. Like think about why, why is that? And maybe taking some of those, those elements and pushing that down to your teams um, giving them that, that, that empowerment. So remember when, so I'm going to jump ahead on us cause this is just keeping the conversation going. But yeah. when we were at agile camp, we did a panel at the end of the day. And that was, all, that was one of the direct questions that we got on the panel was how do I, how do I get my team to have the same level of accountability and ownership and motivation that I do as a senior leader in my organization? And uh, one of the things that we brought up was it was actually something from Gary B, Gary Vandercheck, um, where he's where some CEO was asking him the same question. He, you know, Gary B is just like super, like articulate and like, you know, kind of a little frank and and just right to the point and smooth. And he's just like, well, they won't. Like you have all the upside. You're the CEO. Why would they? Why would they want to have the much as much ownership sure. as you have? Uh, so if you want them to have the ownership, 
give give them part of the ownership or ask them what they want. What I do is I, you know, he's like, how big is your company? And the guy says, I don't remember the number is like 40, 50 or whatever. He's like, you can go have lunch and breakfast with every one of your employees in the next week or two. Once you do that, ask them what they want. And some people are going to want to leave by three o'clock. Some people are going to want to have Fridays off. Some people are going to want $10,000 in the next, you know, raise in the next year. Cool. Sit down with them, figure out how you actually get them to that point and, and how you can still be a profitable business. And they're going to do whatever they can for you as a company if, if you're looking out for their needs as well. Treat them as people. Don't try to just put this blanket thing out there that we're going to treat everybody the same because we're not the same. It kind of gets, I know you and I really like this book, The End of Adverage, but there is no such thing as average. We are all different. We all want different things. We all have different abilities and we shouldn't try to just put everybody into the same square box because we don't fit. It's, it's just, I think that you build that human connection and you, and you figure out what motivates people by asking them and then continually revisit that and then hold true to your promises and, and the agreements that you make. And people are going to, they're going to do whatever they need to. They're going to be so motivated by that. I would be motivated by that um, because, because you feel like you're empowered, like you have control. And that's sure. what people I think a lot of times want. Yeah. I, I figured you were going to jump to that. I was thinking about it in my head as well. So good, good move. Um, so a few other things that, that Lisa was bringing up. Uh, so she, I was aware of this model. I learned it as ATC. Um, she taught it as ABC, which is Albert uh, Albert Ellis's model for cognitive behavior. And so that the, the ABC is activating events, your belief systems, and how it influences the consequences. And so this, like I said, this was something I learned in Army as 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 a resiliency instructor. This is something that I taught to my soldiers. Um, but I like revisiting it to understand. Uh, and again, tying it right into our, our can you give building. me a little bit more detail on it? Cause I haven't heard of, of this before. Sure. So, so the, breaking that down, like an activating event. So something happens, somebody cuts you off on the road. Um, you, you get an email. Um, it's a call from your spouse, whatever it is, it's just something happens. Um, you have then beliefs or thoughts around what is going on. So somebody cuts you off on the road. What a jerk. Um, why would he do that? They almost killed me. Um, and then consequences like your your heart rate literally elevates. You grip on the steering wheel harder. Um, you curse, whatever that might be. And understanding that inside of there, like you have really little or oftentimes little control over the activating event. It just kind of happens. Um, where your control steps in is in your belief system or your thoughts that are influencing whatever that activating event is. And so thinking about in the moment being able to catch yourself and i'll continue using the the you got cut off on the road uh, example like great what let, let me just pause right here and analyze why am i feeling this way okay i was just put in a dangerous situation that that's not good um but what what about that other driver because it is a human being in that car like mm -hmm. were they just being a jerk were they in a rush uh you know maybe they just were, didn't see you um but just analyzing your different thoughts um, that that are all kind of swirling around in your head and that controls the behaviors all, all of a sudden okay mm -hmm. i'm not getting angry about the situation i've built a little bit of empathy or i'm sure. really putting it in perspective like hey cool let's just move on from this and i can keep going so um what i, I should probably take a step back and one of the reasons i, I decided to go to lisa's talk is um i i really enjoy this type 
just yep it's it this 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 conference in particular was a business analyst conference right but i love going into these conferences and taking something away that isn't tool specific that isn't framework specific that i can yeah. apply to my rest of my life that i can apply to myself that i can apply to my family that i can apply to my coworkers, and i think those are powerful presentations to be part of and so i've run into this many parts of my own life where i have a tendency to be rather cynical with things um we we call that the, a, a negativity bias which is you know, we have a tendency to gravitate and latch on to the negative things that happen to ourselves in our life. If you ask somebody, hey, how was your day today? Um, it's it's kind of quick to see what type of person that is. Do they immediately tell you about the negative things that happened to themselves that day? Mm -hmm. Or do they talk about the positive things that happened to themselves that day? And I have found in the past that I tend to be one of those negative individuals that I that those are the things that I latch on to. And so this type of cognitive behavioral study like thinking about why is that why do i latch on to those negative things in the moment after the fact um, i've done journaling at the end of the day to say specifically with the intent of you you journal three good things that happened to yourself that day and it actually puts your brain and your mental state back in that literal um, moment in time you relive it your your brain rele releases the chemicals that make you feel good about that moment and it teaches your mind to to remember those things and it's it's part of building positive uh, uh optimism and part of positive psychology but sorry that was really long-winded but this is why i'm kind of passionate about this stuff is is i think a lot of people just they get down on themselves you know tying it back to what we were talking mm -hmm. about earlier right like missing out on opportunities to learn because you're afraid of failing um if you associate failing with being a failure, you know, then, and that's all you ever see because you've got this negativity bias. It's just this downward spiral. And I yeah. think these are tools that help us recognize that, understand it, and then grow towards something better. So a mm -hmm. little excited. Um, anyway, does that, does that model make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And it, uh, as you're explaining it, I was just thinking more about Lisa and, you know, they needed this, those speaker pitches. And so I, she gave her one minute speak, you know, speaker pitch. And um, so you, I heard her talk for one minute and I'm like, oh, I want to go to that talk. <laughs> I'm like, too bad I'm talking during that time. And then when we did the post-conference, you know, get together, um, I, ha I had to find her because I'm like, she just conveys so much en positive energy that you're like, I want to be around that person. I want to talk to that person. I want to absorb something from that person they're gonna, because that energy is going to make me feel good. Um, and so it was, that's probably why we wanted to chat with her so much, uh, afterwards. Um, just because I think you, you don't even have, it can be a brief moment and you can feel that from, from somebody like that, who's conveying just so much energy. Yeah. And we were joking around about this before, but I've, I probably have literally almost two pages of notes of stuff that I took away. Most of it's personal. Um, but one of the last things that I really wanted to hit on that, that she had mentioned in her presentation that just really hit hit me hit me in the feels was uh don't let your imposter syndrome get in the way and i mean i i used to feel this way quite a bit more but even even recently when i when i'm sitting in bed and i'm thinking to myself about a, a meeting that's coming up or a workshop or i'm doing or the classes that i'm teaching mm -hmm. i'm thinking about man i'm they're just gonna find me out tomorrow and then all of a sudden <laughs> 
you know, it's everybody's going to yeah. know that I don't know any of this stuff and I'm just a charade and I, I've been, you know, just bit, I'm, I'm an imposter and they're going to figure it out tomorrow. And it's hard to shake those off. And yes. the, the irony was I was just talking with with uh, another senior leader about this yesterday and and they had literally brought up this exact same thing where they were trying to thinking about stepping into a new role and you know they I, I can't remember word for word but it was he was saying you know I, I was just afraid that um, I wasn't skilled to do this I, I would be a failure in this role um, and that was really getting in the way and I, I, I literally pulled this up and I read the quote to him um, just to you know let him know that I feel this. I'm sure other people feel this. I've heard from this from the people that I've managed in the past saying, you know, I just feel like an imposter sometimes. Joe over there, Joe's got it figured out. I, but I'm just worried that Joe's going to figure out that I don't have this figured out. Um, and then, you know, yeah. just the negativity around that. I think we all feel that way. And maybe I, I try to reflect on that at some time because I think you know, I feel that too sometimes. And I think it's good that we feel that because it, it, it keeps some type of level of hunger, humility um, out there, hunger to get, learn and get that, and you to you know, really be aware of our surroundings, what's happening, and, and to absorb and, and to improve. And then humility to like, yeah, I'm open to new ideas. I'm open to learning. Um, I don't have everything. I don't know everything. And so I think, again, I think that's a, a, an attraction an attractive thing, I guess, for teams yeah. or it's a thing that brings teams together and like people being vulnerable, even talking about this, like, like we are right now. If you just tell your teams, this is how I feel sometimes. I think just sharing that vulnerability is going to build a ton of trust um, with your teams and, and support too. I know I've, I've seen that on development teams that I've been a part of and, and I experienced that where, um, you know, someone's like this new technology, I don't, you know, I'm a little worried. Like, I don't know this as well as I thought, as they think I do. And this is brand new and it's complicated and I'm figuring it out. And so I just need you guys to be patient with me and help me in any way you can. And, and so like, just feeling where that person's coming from, you're like, okay, cool. Well, how can I help? Well, I can make this part easier for you or I can, let's, let's do it together. Let's sit down, let's pair, let's, let's, let's tackle this together um, you and I talk in our, our, we didn't do this talk, but, uh, we have in the past, our power of pairing talk. It's kind of like, you know, two kids going into that dark woods together and together we will conquer this. And it's not that scary anymore. And, um, and I think that just pushes us to do those things that we're uncomfortable with. And maybe you're like, Oh, I would feel like such an imposter if I did this by myself. So yeah. I know I'm talking about things that we were afraid of or, um, fearful of, um, Chad um, Byer, who was on last, last episode, him and I were doing a talk, and he nudged me to do something I was really not comfortable doing, and that's um, singing in front of about 500 people to introduce our talk. Um, and so we did this little uh, parody rap to Ice Ice Baby to introduce our Agile Loops talk in front of a few hundred people. You recorded it. We put some lyrics to it, and we're like, hey, that wasn't all that bad. Let's put it on LinkedIn. <laughs> So now there's been thousands of people that have seen it. So, um, but that's not something I would normally do. And uh, especially in front of people, like a lot of people, uh, singing, dancing is not my, not my strong suit. Um, but it was scary, but also helped me grow, right? Like it's like, put yourself in those uncomfortable situations and then you feel pretty good afterwards. And you're like, that wasn't that bad. I can, I can handle that. And you're more willing to do things that make you uncomfortable in the future. 
that probably just stretch you a little further than you thought you can go. And uh, just kind of like in our talk of, you know, building resilience teams where we talk about, you know, these anti-fragile systems, when you push things to the max, they usually rebuild back stronger and better, you know, like our immune system or our muscles. And so I think maybe, you know, just our brain and, and our, the way we experience things, if we keep pushing ourselves to our limits, um, past what we thought we could do, we can do a little bit more next time and a little bit more. And so that was a, that was a, um, a fun and a scary thing that uh, I took away from our last week doing these conferences as well. It was it was definitely a fun thing to watch. For the audience, so, um, yeah, maybe maybe we'll throw a clip of that or something in this or something. Maybe I don't know if you if we can do that at the end. We'll we'll, we'll play around with that and get the audio a, of that. I'll put a link in the notes. So oh, there you go. That's a good idea. So actually, I, I have uh, written down here a note that that happened, and it wasn't from any of, the, any of the presentations, but just something that really stuck out to me. So in, in between the sessions, somebody was coming up and, and having a conversation with me. And somewhere in that conversation, she used a phrase and she, she started out by saying, I'm just a BA, but, um, and I was like, man, that sucks. Like, don't, yeah. <laughs> somebody <laughs> beat it into this person's head that like, she wasn't qualified to just have basic discussions because she was only a BA. And, mm -hmm. you know, I wrote it down because I feel like I've, I've started my own sentences right that, um, and you can be self-deprecating or just kind of joking around when you say it, like, Hey, I'm just, I'm just an agile coach. What do I know? Um, but you know, when we say that there's, there's that half truth to a lot of the things that we say, and I right. just thought that was kind of a bummer. And I, I wish I could go back in time. And, and just pause her at that moment and just say, hey, you're not just a BA, you're a human being, you're a really intelligent person, you're somebody who's continuing to grow, that's why you're here at a conference versus just sitting at your at your job doing the same thing day in and day out. Um, and, you know, just have that that respect for yourself um, and not that, that opinion of yourself that you're just this, right? Mm -hmm. It may be what you are right now, but it's certainly not what your potential potential of growing into later on. So. Um, yeah, it was just kind of impactful to me and I just wanted to, to unbox it for just a second. Yeah. I, I, we hear those things, you know, with teams we're coaching often and it's, it's good to like stop it right in the middle of that sentence. It's just kind of like, I don't know, blurred out loud is one like, I don't know, thing that I've heard people call it, but just like, Oh, wait, we gotta unpack this. You're not just this, like, you know, you're, you're a contributing team member to this team. Like you're not just somebody who works in this little silo over here. Uh, you're not just this, you know, small can piece that contributes to our, or whatever, like there's much more to it. So I, I just like to not let those things just slide by, you know, when I hear them and yeah. just call them out and just make sure people that you call that you reckon, let the people know you recognize that they're, that they, that they matter, right. Bring the human side of things into it. Yeah. And this, I, I like that we started talking about this because it goes back a few years ago, we were at a conference, um, doesn't matter which one it was, and we were, I was hearing somebody talk and they were saying, oh, well, we're, we're meeting with, uh, I don't know, the VP or the CTO or whatever. And, you know, we don't want to waste their time. These are, these are, these are busy people. Um, mm -hmm. So we have to be respectful of that. <laughs> and I wanted to turn that around. Like, so what you're saying is I just sit on my hands all day because I'm not a VP you know, and my time isn't valuable. Um, not to put 
go too far on this tangent, but one of my favorite quotes, um, or uh, I'll butcher the quote, but one of my favorite lines comes from a, a comic book. It's called The Sandman. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, Neil Gaiman, great, great writer, um, was talking about this character death is coming and taking away this individual. Um, and in the comic, the, the character is saying, but I, I, it's not fair. I haven't, I, ha I haven't had enough time. And the response was, you, you got the same thing everybody else gets. You get a lifetime. And that, that resonates with me because everybody gets 24 hours a day. Everybody gets yep. the, the same amount. It's what you choose to do with that time that, that is important, that's impactful for you to what you want to leave behind, to what you want to accomplish. And just, I don't want to beat a dead horse with this, but it doesn't matter if you're a BA on a team, a product owner, a CTO, everybody gets the same amount of time. Everybody is expected to produce value to an organization. So don't sell yourself short and say, right. I'm just X. Um, no, you're a human being. Treat yourself like one. Right, exactly. Cool, we'll, we'll get off that soapbox. And, and <laughs> So I, I'm a little bit ashamed. I didn't have my, my iPad with me to take some good notes. But um, so the, the keynote speaker for iPad was Jim Morris. And if you're not familiar with Jim Morris, he's, he's the guy that The Rookie, the movie The Rookie is based on. Mm -hmm. um, and there, there were a number of things that beware the dream killers. And he talked about the people who were putting him down that killed his dream um, as he was going through his life. But I think the bigger takeaway both from the character of who Jim Morris is and the the power and influence that people have on one another was that basically his whole talk was about his grandfather um, yeah. and the influence that his grandfather had on him and how impactful it was. He taught him these values, um, his, his belief system, uh, it, constant encouragement, um, selflessness, and all these great things to think about that from a personal perspective, what is what is the example that I'm setting for other people that I'm uh, interacting with, um, and far less about me, me, me in the conversation. So, I mean, it was it was a great keynote, very very uplifting. But that was the big takeaway for me was just being that example and never losing sight of the fact that you are an influencer to somebody else. Somebody else right. is taking away from um, the, the the engagement that you have with them. Yeah, I and I guess, you know, one of the things he talked a lot about was, you know, his grandfather and his grandfather always said, if you, you know, you promise something, if you give your word, you do it like that's that's just one of the values that are part of our family you know, that we live by. And like he talked about it over and over again, how like you called out by one of his students or it would be something else would happen, you know, and he's like um, and he would just be like, but you know, all these things. And then he'd go back to how yeah, my grandfather would say this, we got to do it. Like, I just, I know I don't, I shouldn't, I know I'm going to get laughed at. I know whatever. And that's kind of how he got into, like he made this promise to his team that he would try out for a major league baseball team when he was, I don't know, I don't remember exactly what age he was in his thirties, mid thirties, something like yeah. that. And, um, goes out there and sneaks out there, you know, doesn't tell his <laughs> wife because he's afraid his wife's going to kill him. And, uh, you know, goes out there and, and does this and, you know, win to the very end and then, you know, throws those first few pitches and, and thinks, okay, I'm done. And they're like, they're just baffled. And the guy comes up to him and as he's like pulling out of his car, cause he kind of like tries to get out of there as quick as he can. And, and it's like, no, no, your first pitch was 95. 
every pitch after that was 98 and you're a lefty like we you we will be calling you you know like that's like a crazy um so i don't know it was just it was it was a really great story um i thought not just because of the outcome at the end but like just his values that he had throughout his whole life and exactly how you said he lived them and how he treated everybody the same no matter who they were um you know telling about talking about how his grandfather did that and how he kind of kept that going um I, i thought those were some really impactful stories yeah, and, and tying this back to one of the things that we started out talking about, you know, when you're afraid of failing, you pass up on valuable opportunities, right? Yeah, you've got to be willing to put yourself out on that. Um, you got to be willing to take risks because that's where you, where you're going to learn. That's where you're going to get your your growth. So let's let's keep rolling here. So Amanda, do you know her last name? Pull. I'm going to butcher this. Yeah, something like that. I'm okay, not sure how you say it. Um, so she, she was talking about the high-level feature planning, um, all, all good stuff, but really the, the one thing, and we, we joked around about this, we're like, we're stealing, it's ours now. Um, yeah. Her analogy with the house, um, the building a house analogy. So business users want to decorate the house and hang pictures, but if the mainframe represents the roof, it is falling down. It doesn't matter how pretty the walls are when the structure is crumbling. Um, and I think this is valuable when we, we, we talk about the benefit of transparency and part of transparency is common language. Um, and very often it's hard to take technical things or technical debt or the need to upgrade something that's already working, um, the plumbing, so yeah. to speak. But if we can take those things out of technical speak, put it into common language or simple analogies that anybody can consume, um, mm-hmm. it, it just makes it, not don't i'm not calling the business stupid i'm just saying (laughs) it's so easy a caveman could do it right it's dummy proofing the language that we're talking about and and i i really that was the 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 big takeaway for me was this is this is something that i can put into a common language use and help articulate to to people who may not understand what is the value of these things that we're trying to do um it's already working why upgrade why why do i need to go from sql server 2000 to 2019 or whatever the latest version is well if that represents your roof it's falling down on yourself right now so yeah yeah i like that analogy a lot i think it's a good one to to steal and i'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunities to use it in the future yeah she we, we were joking around about it and i and i guess they actually you know as the the that initiative was kind of or the the upgrade initiative was coming to an end they had used it so much that is kind of a, a parting joke. Um, they had gotten stakeholders all these little squishy houses with like a, a messed up room or something <laughs> on it. So I thought that was funny. Oh, that's cool. funny. That's funny. Um, so afterwards, Gavin Martin was was talking uh, a bit, and the the big takeaway for for me was really around this this alignment that he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he he had said, if you've got six different Scrum teams, you potentially have six different product visions. Um, and I, I would take that even a step further is if let's say that's a five person scrum team, you potentially have 30 different product visions and how important it is when you're setting that product vision up front um, that you have that alignment, that we're all going in the same direction, um, that we have that common understanding. Otherwise, you know, there, there's this, there is value in doing just in time work. Um, but just in time work doesn't mean not understanding where you're going uh, uh, on your product roadmap or your product vision or wherever it is that you're trying to get to. 
um, because there's a lot of risks in developing with blinders on to everything else. Yeah, I liked um, he broke down like necessary elements for like when you're starting off a team. And, you know, we, we do a lot of these generally, I think, in the Agile community. But there's a couple of ones that are like, oh, yeah, we kind of do this informally. But doing that formally would be would be pretty cool. Um, so definition of done, right? Most of us probably are doing that and using that. But a definition of success, I thought was a cool one that he talked about. And, you know, what are you marching towards one year from now, two years from now, three years from now? And how does that tactically look? And what what would what would success be if in one year or two years or three years? And then, you know, once you convey that with stakeholders, you um, team members, users, whomever's in this ecosystem, like you can keep each other honest, like this is where we're going. So why are we working on, you know, X or Y, those types of things. Uh, you talked about um, team charters, which, you know, working agreements, things like that. You know, how do we, you know, conduct ourselves? I think, you know, many teams probably do that. Uh, but he also talked about like defining a decision process. Like how are we going to make sure or how do we, how we determine what big items go on our product backlog and how do we determine like what's extra fluff and what's what stuff that we should be doing? Like, what are those things we have to get to our users? Like, what does that decision process look like? What is the product owner using to, to go through this process? And by going through that process and, and sharing that with the team, um, really like how we talk on our one talk, our product owner talk about like talking about what does value mean with your team and stakeholders and then defining that very similar to that, um, I, I, I just drew those co correlations. Like when you have those conversations, then at least you stay aligned because there's a lot of micro decisions that are happening every single day all over your value stream that if you don't know where we're going or how we decide what is really valuable, you might be just kind of moving your alignment further and further away from where we think it, it should be, right? So like that over communicating with clarity was another key takeaway that I took from this talk. Like he, he, he didn't say those exact words, but that's what I kind of heard. Yeah. Uh, it's like just over communicating what's happening, why it's happening. Um, and just to keep alignment, uh, especially when you're scaling, you know, the example he was giving with the five or six teams, like that's so crucially important because you could have all these different vision statements out there going in many different directions. Yeah. Yeah, that was, and even doing that with the team. So not just leadership, not just your product owner, or your project right. manager or whatever, but really getting the team in there again. Um, and that, that was something else that I gave kudos to, or I, I don't know why I give kudos. She was telling us it, but something that I thought was really cool that Amanda also highlighted when she was talking about that high level feature map planning was, you know, the team needs to be there. The team needs to understand where we're going. Um, yep. The team is going to help us figure out how to, how to slice this stuff but also um, building that common language, building that alignment, over-communicate with clarity like you're talking about and continually revisiting this. Like it's not a one and done situation, right? Like figuring out we're likely gonna have milestones in our, in our product and think about, and I use milestones, whether that's your releases, whether that's your MVPs or whatever that happens to be, there are right. certain higher level goals that you're going after and those again, to what you and Chad were talking about, those are your feedback loops, right? We've got smaller feedback loops on literally a, a daily basis, and we've got larger feedback loops at a, a, at a release cycle or a milestone cycle. Um, and we've got to, if, if the team knows where we're going, understands what the goals are that we were looking to achieve, we can have good conversations. Did we achieve that goal? Do we need to pivot? What's the direction that we're going? Um, and just getting, uh, 
getting the, the, the smartest people in the room. And I, I always joke around that, like that's the development team. Those are the real geniuses in our organizations. Those are the, one, the, the doers uh, of the work. Um, and having yep. them on board and having a common understanding is just gonna pay in spades for you over the long term. Yeah, I liked how both, um, you know, both Amanda and Gavin talked about bringing the teams and then them coming together and saying, you know, here's our plan, what, uh, you know, what we're going to do. And then them kind of marching that forward to leadership wherever else to, you know, verify that, yep, this is aligned to the vision that we're going, going to do. Um, instead of having it pushed down to them, how like they're bringing it forward. And like, that's how you get alignment. That's how you get clarity. That's how you get engagement and accountability when the teams are the ones driving it, you know, it's coming from them. And then you're just verifying it against the guardrails that the organization or leadership or whomever setting them has. Um, both the processes they talked about, you know, the high level feature mapping and then Gavin's about like how he goes about, um, you know, creating these, these visions and, and um, strategies with, with teams. Um, they, they both kind of started at the team, which I thought was a really great point to, to make. I think too often we hear or see people like, well, does the development team really need to be involved? Shouldn't they just be coding at this point? And, right. and we'll, and we'll, uh, we'll bring them along and inform them what we need to do later. Um, but I mean, I, I feel like I use this stat a lot, but you know, that Standish group staff where, you know, only 20% of the features created are, are often or, or, or most of the time used 80% are rarely used or never used. Right. And so if the team's not aligned on the vision and how much stuff are we overproducing? And that's a huge, you know, source of waste, I think out there. If 80% of the work that most of our teams are doing is, is being thrown away or very, very rarely used. Um, if we, what if we just didn't build that stuff and what if we could just spend, you know, some time learning upfront what to build and reduce all this complexity so we can build the right things better, faster, more maintainable into the future. Mm -hmm. um, I think those are all like we want all those things, but they start with putting that time up front to get that alignment. Yeah, and as as we were we were talking about this, the other thing that kind of jumped into my 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 head was uh, OKRs, and not not that OKRs are a silver bullet or you even need to use them, but all three of these things that we've been talking about, it's more about you're doing it. You're in some way you're building alignment, you're building alignment with your team, you're involving them, whether, you know, you're doing this high level feature planning, whether you're doing OKRs or and I don't, I don't remember what Gavin called this, but it, it's it's less about how you're doing it. It's more that you are doing it and that these right. are the things that you're that you're taking on with your team because you see benefits in it to back to what you were saying earlier is we, really breaking out of that order taker mentality for our development team members that they're they're not just there to execute the business requirements doc and build the thing right they they need mm -hmm. to be involved they need to have an understanding of the business needs that they're trying to solve right so the i, I think the last thing that i wanted to kind of wrap with you on and honestly, I don't want to go too far down into it because I'm really hoping we can sucker this guy into coming onto the podcast and talking about it himself. But we, we spent, I, I, I don't think it's exaggerating to say three to four hours talking with, and just, again, I don't want to go too deep into it, but I do want to talk about at least two things that, that I took away from the conversation. So he, he's a, a small business owner. I think he has about 70 employees um, yeah. consulting. Um, but really just trying out a lot of really radical 
really cool things. Um, so I, I'm just going to throw the two things that I kind of want to talk through with you, Jeff, and see if there were other things that you wanted to take away from it. But one was his approach to the review with his team members, and the other one was the um, escrow billing scenario that he's. Oh yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. So cool, cool to dive down into those. Yeah, let's dive bit. into those. Okay. So the first one, he, and this is how we, we started the conversation, was talking about, well, what's, what's something kind of radical that you're trying out right now with your team members? And so he was, he was saying, well, this is, this is how I'm doing reviews. So I've got a team member I've got a, uh, that, that comes into to the review, talking with them, and I pull out a sheet. And the sheet is the P&L for the organization. And so this is holistically how we're doing. Here's all the numbers. Um, here's your bill rate. Here's um, the margins that I'm looking to make on you. Uh, here's where we're at. Uh, what do you want to make? And just kind of leaves it at that. And or what do you want? I think even that's what he said. Like, it's not even what do you want to make. Like, here's yeah. where you're at. Do you like? Because some people want you know time away. Some people want more vacation. Some people want more money. Whatever it is. Because um, the other remember cool thing that he had was he had a no vacation policy. Yeah, the no vacation policy policy. Policy, yeah, yeah. But like he I mean he looks at it and says, like, he's had some frank conversations. Like, there's one dude who's like, Hey, you're on pace for like ten weeks of vacation this year. Like, what the hell? You know, <laughs> like like that's a little ridiculous. Is there a reason for this? And he's like, Yeah, you're right. Like, I guess I'm I'm losing money for the company or whatever. So uh, so then they have a conversation. He adjusts his behavior. He's like, but you're doing great at the client. So like, if you want to work one less, I just got to pay you less. Like we can work this out. And the guy's like, no, I'll work more. I'll stop doing that. Cool. Okay. You know? So it's just, um, having these frank, honest conversations and then saying like, here's where you're here. Here's my accountability to the business. And here's your accountability to the business for growing. And let's match these up and how do we stay in sync? Right. Yeah. So I just think that the no games and like the no posturing and just like, let's just be completely transparent with each other and have a, a real conversation was just so refreshing uh, to hear about. Yeah. The, and, and kind of the way he approached that conversation. So hypothetically, okay. Um, the team member says, I want to make a million dollars. Like, great. If that's what you want to make, here's the margin that I need to make off of that. And, here's all the different ways you could do that. Do you want to be working 24 hours a day at this bill rate? Well, that's how you would be able to make that. How, how can we make that happen, right? So really just transferring the onus onto me as the team member, if that's really what I want to make, well, let's, let's figure out what the options are to make it. Um, yep. So I, I thought that was, that was a really cool conversation and, and something that I've never been able to have. Um, maybe close to that, but certainly not that level of transparency. Right. Um, and just, I, I think that's really respectful. And we've, we've talked about Menlo in the past, you know, going out to Menlo, seeing how they handle things. And that's just, or Menlo Innovations in right. Ann Arbor, Michigan, I think is where they're at. Uh, Rich Sheridan wrote uh, Joy. Uh, Joy Inc. Yep. Joy Inc. And I think he just put out a new one. Um, I haven't had uh, oh. the joy of entrepreneurship or something to that effect, hmm. I think is the latest one he put out. Okay. Anyway, uh, very, very similar type of scenario of how they approach things. Super transparent, it's all up on a wall, the entire P&L. Everybody knows what everybody makes because they just have four categories. If you're in category one, you make this amount, two, this amount, et cetera. Um, and it's baseline for the organization. So everybody is in one of those four. So 
again, just kind of cool, kind of radical ideas, but um, I think they could be pretty powerful. The other, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was his, his escrow billing is, is just what I call it. I'm sure he's got a much fancier term for it. But essentially, uh, the way they, they've got like development teams, right? So an organization says, hey, we want to build this product with you. Um, and they say, cool, we think it's going to be about this size. We'll just start building. Um, but as we're building it, we're going to put a certain amount into escrow or you're excuse me, you're going to put a certain amount into escrow that we're going to send you right. a bill instead of it being a hundred dollars an hour for our consultants, it's only going to be $70 or whatever that number happens to be. But that that other $30 an hour, that remainder is still billed, but it's put into this what he calls an escrow account. And so what happens is at the end of the project, so when when where the whatever they're looking to achieve, they've achieved it, they have the option to exercise on that escrow to say, we want the money or we want to take it as an investment in your product and then we become partial owners of, of the product. And I thought, wow, what a cool win-win situation that you've got going on. So we build something and you know what, we don't think you're gonna go anywhere with it. No big deal, let's just take our money out. But the I think the bigger trade-off or the bigger scenario or the bigger win here is we poured our hearts and souls into this product. We think it's gonna go somewhere. We want that investment. And again, tying this back to one of the things that you were talking about at the beginning of the, of the podcast, Jeff, was like, how do, we, how do we get that account or that ownership from employees? We'll give them some ownership, give them some upside of actually building part of the thing. And I- Yeah, and so then what do you do with that? It's like. Oh, so we, we gave that, you know, we did $3 million of work over the last year for this company. We had a couple of development teams working on this product. They released it. We took the equity a year later, whatever it gets sold or we're maybe we're making royalties on this. Now we'd share that with our, like, this is money that you guys created by creating a high value product. And then you can share that back with those margins when he's having those P and L conversations at the end of the year. Or, you know, I think you think he's having a more frequently than that. Um, but you know, here's where we're at. And, and you're like, man, I produced something and it wasn't a one-time gain. It's like royalties, every single, you know, quarter that we're getting. And so that's, that's helping my bottom line numbers. And I've created an awesome product and, and now I'm, I'm seeing the benefit from that, right. As an employee. So I think I, again, it's a great model to inspire employees, to inspire collaboration, to inspire great products being developed. And it's not this like, win lose situation where like a fixed bid contract right it's a win lose or a lot of times it's a lose lose uh we, we've you know both been a part of a number of those right yeah uh where this is like a win win for everybody because you get a great product everybody's makes money if it's great and if it doesn't then then you're all in the same boat so you're all you're you know you're so aligned on what success means and it's not like you're um one person has to lose in this situation um, you just, you're just so tightly aligned on, on success, right? If, if the company succeeds and companies, you know, takes equity, they both succeed together. Right. So I just think that's a great thing. And then companies like it too, because, Hey, I get to put this in escrow and, and, uh, I feel like, you know, I, if they don't actually deliver, if nothing actually is done, then we can pull that back. You know, maybe they have some stipulations like mm -hmm. that. And so they, they feel like they're a little bit more protected and uh, they don't have to, you know, give that money away right away. So it's 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 good for everyone, I think. Um, and a lot of companies, 
I'm not exactly sure how he does the escrow thing because he he made the comment like the companies don't have to have all the cash flow then for it. So unless they're not oh, really actually sure. putting it into it, a company, you know, into an account, they're just like giving him a note saying they are or something. I don't know how that works, but yeah. however he's structuring it. Um, but if they aren't having to come up with the cash flow and you're a new company, that's a huge thing too, right? Because, you know, that, that can be pretty expensive. Yeah, I suppose. Great point. It, it may be literally they're not. It's more like an IOU and then you just cut get cut a big check at the end. And so there's even more of that win-win, right? Like this is actually cheaper right. to develop when we're in startup mode and we don't have that capital yet to invest into the, our right. development team. But And the onus is on them to deliver too, right? Like if you can't deliver, you're not going to get paid. Yep. And so he just, you know, companies like it because they feel like it's a shared risk, but he loves it because he's like, I know we're going to deliver. This is a low risk, uh, you know, bet that I'm making on my company because I know the quality of, you know, developers that we have. I know the quality of products that we build. Like it's better than anyone else in the market. And so I just, I, I trust, I trust my company and I, and I'll put a bet on that. And I think that's a low risk on it. And a lot of companies are like, you know, they've been burned by a lot of consultants in the past or consulting companies. And so they, they like this shared risk model. And so it's, it's been a pretty big win-win from it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, I, I, I really hope we can sweeten the deal and get him onto the show because there was there was like three to four hours of just really cool stuff. Just we gold. Talking about. Yeah. 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 It was just awesome ideas. So on that note, why don't we go ahead and wrap this up? Um, we'll do a quick plug for, again, where we're speaking at on this Wednesday. Yep. So what is that date? Just check. It's uh, 22nd. It yeah, the 22nd. We're in Milwaukee at product brew which you said is part of nm's uh incubator yep type product right oh i'm, I'm lying it's it's tuesday tuesday the 21st we're yeah downtown milwaukee um speaking at the milwaukee product brew brew it's a meetup you can find it online and then um i think that's it for our short term do you have anything yeah. else going on mm, nothing gonna Short term, we've got the one product owner talk, uh, the Cedar Cedar Falls Valley. It's an online meetup. Uh, we're doing our um, our product owner talk, um, superpowers of product ownership. But one of the cool things I'm excited for for the product brew talk is they said they're going to record it. They're going to um, do video and audio, but they're going to just going to release the audio as a podcast. So we're going to also double air that as a podcast on the Agile Wire. So. Uh, we'll be putting that talk out out here. It'll be a little different type of episode than what we've done in the past. Um, but we'll be releasing that, you know, sometime in the near future once we get that recording. Indeed. Hi, man. I think we're good. All set? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks All for right. listening to Agile Wire. Awesome.